following Lighthouse Talk is produced and distributed by the Augustine Institute. Our mission is to help you understand, live, and share your Catholic faith. Taylor Kemp is a husband, father, Catholic convert, and former Major League Soccer player for DC United. With over 100 MLS appearances throughout a six-year career, that took him to over 10 countries across four continents. Taylor spent 10 years in locker rooms of the highest level, from the University of Maryland to DC United to the United States men's national team, and was faced with living and sharing his faith in some of the most secular environments. Following his conversion at the age of 25 while playing for DC United, Taylor discovered a deep love for theology and teaching the faith that led him to pursue a master's degree in theology from the Augustine Institute Graduate School. After retiring from professional soccer in 2018, Taylor now shares the beauty of the faith through his work for Formed, the premier Catholic streaming service that seeks to nourish and build up Catholic culture through faithful content for all audiences, serving kids, parents, individuals, parishes, and dioceses around the world. Taylor and his wife, Brittany, reside in Denver, Colorado with their two daughters. Here now is Taylor Kemp. Okay, friends, let us begin with, in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Jesus, we love you. We thank you for this day. Thank you for your providence that has led us to this moment. We ask for your Holy Spirit, ask for wisdom and prudence, uh, and help this to be something that builds up your church. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Uh, everybody, the name of my talk is Athletic Spirituality. Uh, today we're going to be doing a couple different things. Uh, primarily what we are going to be doing is talking about the spiritual life, the life of discipleship, uh, by way of making analogies to sport. Uh, the basis for doing something like this, uh, I'm not the first one who came up with a, this idea. This actually came from St. Paul. Uh, he writes in the first, uh, his first letter to the Corinthians, chapter 9, verses 24 through 25. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So St. Paul is taking a common concept, which was uh, this idea of running a race of athletics, which was very popular in the Roman, cult, the Roman and Greek culture of the time. And then he's trying to teach something about the spiritual life to help it kind of land in a sense, because you, when you're teaching, you're trying to take something familiar to explain something unfamiliar. So he's taking something that they understand, which is athletics, and then he's trying to teach something about the spiritual life. So that is the task for today. Uh, the second why, besides that St. Paul laid the foundation for such a thing, uh, is that this is something that I genuinely did when I was converting to the Catholic Church. Uh, so I will tell you a little bit about my background, but I played professional soccer uh, when I was 
coming into the church, it was in the middle of playing for DC United, uh, which I'll give a little bit of a background on in a second. Uh, but as I was uh, faced with a new plan of what I was supposed to do with my life, which is to follow God's will, uh, to live under the precepts of the church, like that can be a pretty daunting mountain to climb, so to speak. And so when you're sitting there grappling with like, how do I do this? How do I follow Christ? How do I pray? How do I take up this whole new type of life, uh, this mountain to climb, this daunting task? Well, I uh, made reference to the thing that I knew, which was sports. And so I genuinely, when I was converting, kind of took up an athletic program, so to speak, about how I would do that. So this is some, these are all the lessons that I'm going to walk through today are things that like they were real to me. They, they really did help me understand uh, what was going on. So today I'm going to give a little bit of a background on myself personally. That'll be relatively quick. I'm going to tell uh, a part of my conversion story. Everyone's conversion story uh, is by its nature a long and mysterious uh, path. I'm not so we're not going to exhaust it. I'm just going to tell a part of it that relates to what we're doing today. And then I'm going to talk about these three fundamental aspects of being a successful athlete that map, I think, perfectly onto the spiritual life in a, in a really cool way. So hopefully we can have some fun doing it. Uh, okay, so my background was in soccer. I did not really grow up religious. I grew up loosely Christian, one could say. Um, not, not Catholic, but Protestant Christian. But it was very loose. The, the faith was not a part of our home life really at all. Uh, I just wanted to um, have my friends and date girls and play soccer. Like that was what I was doing uh, and that was working out all right. So I just wanted to play soccer. Uh, so was not really faithful growing up or anything. Um, I was the number two recruit coming out of high school. Um, going into college, I was a parade All-American, which is, I mean, I was an All-American. Uh, I was uh, on the cover of ESPN Magazine when I was 17. Um, because I was so highly ranked. Uh, and then I went to the reigning national champions, the University of Maryland, uh, on a full scholarship and was one of two freshmen that started uh, from the first day uh, going into preseason. So then I went to the University of Maryland, which was the reigning national championship team. I was a starter as a freshman. Uh, we won two ACC titles, two league titles. We went to the Final Four. I was team captain junior and senior year. Uh, I left college early to enter into the MLS draft. I was drafted in the first round, number 17th pick to DC United, which was just down the beltway from the University of Maryland. And I knew the coach, so that was great. So I went to DC. I ended up playing for six years there from 2013 to 2018. I played in over 100 MLS games. I played in over 10 countries. I played for the U18, the U20, and the full national team, the plural. Um, and then in 2017, I started having injuries. I had about... Um, 15 months of injuries, and I eventually retired because of those in 2018. Uh, in the middle of that, when I was 25, I converted to the Catholic Church. I came in at the Easter Vigil in 2016. Uh, had a radical change on my life. Um, and then because of what had happened in my conversion, I really fell in love with theology and the faith. I loved reading books, and then I eventually found my way to the Augusta Institute Graduate School, where I graduated in 2020, discovered a deep, deep love of teaching the faith, and am now uh, blessed to work at the Augustine Institute uh, and help out with Formed. So that's the quick version. So I want to talk a little bit about uh, my conversion. And the essence of my conversion, uh, this is the big question for every conversion. Why did you become Catholic? Uh, and it's a myriad of answers. The, the essence of why I became Catholic is because soccer did not deliver on the happiness that I thought it would. That's the simplest answer. Uh, I was someone who, by the age of 25, had achieved just about every dream I had ever set. Uh, and so, you know, like, it's very easy to project this vision of happiness or 
I'll be happy when I get to X, when I get paid more, when I have a family, when I get that promotion, like whatever it may be. Everyone, everyone carries some of that in them. Like, I'll be happy when. Uh, and I had that. And I was like, I'll be happy when I'm finally a professional soccer player. Because that was what my whole life was about. And I got to there and I was not happy. I was very anxious. I felt like I lived under this kind of dark cloud of anxiety and uncertainty and fear. Uh, and that's very jarring when you get to like the, you know, the gold at the end of, uh, at the end of the rainbow and it's just empty and, and you're kind of left asking like, where, at what point did I go wrong? How did I get this wrong? Uh, and so I found myself at that point and then uh, so through some deep moral failures, through hurting someone that I loved uh, very deeply, that took me into a place where I was uh, vulnerable and willing to ask the questions that have to be asked of where did I go wrong? And then that kind of plummeted me into the RCIA process in Washington, D.C. at a church called St. Peter's. So I begrudgingly end up in RCIA. Uh, I had a phenomenal teacher in RCIA. His name is Father Thomas Joseph White. He's now the rector of the Angelicum in Rome. Uh, but at the time, he ran our RCIA program. So that's quite something. Uh, and he was an incredible teacher. Uh, so I went in very begrudgingly. And, and something very powerful happened. Uh, which is that Father Thomas Joseph gave this very powerful witness of, of just a man I had never met before. So he's an incredibly intelligent man, and he's bringing forth all these arguments that I had never considered in my life, which were compelling. But there was something about him that was in itself compelling. He was, in, in a sense, like the gentlest, mo like the one of the best men I'd ever seen, because he's in this this RCA class and people are just like peppering him with questions like what about this what about this like every apologetics thing you can think of and that some of them are worked up they've been hurt by the church or they know people who've been worked up by the church and this man just like received it was very thoughtful and like very pastoral and just would respond to them and there was something about him he had this like kind of gravitas this like this presence about him that was striking and I've always remembered it uh, so his witness of life was really like the inroad for me. Like, I didn't know what I thought about Christ. I didn't know what I thought about the church. I didn't know what I thought about Mary or the sacraments. Like, it was none of that. I just remember seeing this man. I was like, gosh, like, he's got something I want. He has, like, a comfort, a peace with himself that was just so powerful. And I was like, I want some of that. So that, that was really the inroads for me. And then from that point, I really opened my mind up and I was really just absolutely blown away by the, the wisdom of the church about the human person, about our sexuality. What is the human person built for? Where are we going? Uh, that I got very interested. And by the time I came in at the Easter vigil, I was like, I don't know what any of this means, but I'm in. And I'll spend the rest of my life figuring it out. That's, that's how I felt. But in this, Father Thomas Joseph is painting the Catholic vision of humanity, which is we're supposed to ascend to the heights of holiness, to divinization, to become one with God, which can happen in this life and is perfected in the next. And you're like, wow, that's awesome. I want to do that. And I remember just hearing week after week after week, all of these things that the church was saying I should or shouldn't do, looking at my life and being like, well, that's not what my life looks like at all. And being like, how am I ever going to change? How am I ever going to take that up? And so that's where I adopted this kind of athletic program. And so what I did was I would take one thing every month that I, the church was saying I should or shouldn't do. And I said, I'm going to try just that one thing this month and just see how it goes. And so that's what I did. So every month I was like, I'm going to address one thing, see how it goes. And the result was peace and happiness. Like all the things that we've experienced as living in the church where all of a sudden you're like, there's just something a little different. Like there's a little bit more ease. There's a little bit more comfort. And it was really powerful. 
So I took on my kind of, I would say that was a sports mentality, which is like, I'm going to improve here and this is how I'm going to do it. And I set forth a plan and I went with it and that really worked. Uh, and that kind of drove my, my nine months of RCIA. So there's just a little bit about my conversion story. Uh, now we're going to get into uh, kind of like the meat of this talk and what I really want to talk to you guys about today, which is the three fundamental aspects of being a successful athlete that map onto the spiritual life. So here's the three. Number one, know your role. Number two, criticism is your friend. Number three, have the courage to fail. Okay, so number one, know your role. This is a very common phrase in sports. I don't know if any of you have been in sports or, but know your role is like a thing. Like it's a, it's a very common thing. When, before my coach, before we would go out to the game, right before we'd go out for warm-up, he'd, he would get it, bring us in and say, hey, know your role, know your role, know your role. And so what is that communicating about something that is a team sport? You're a part of something bigger than yourself. You have a role but you are, in it, you are in yourself not like fully able to address what is about to go on. So you have to know your role. This relates very much to what I think is a necessary maturation process for young players because we grow up inherently selfish. Uh, and um, a lot of the times a parent's task is to help their children grow out of being selfish. Right? You're just thinking about yourself, what is this going to do for me? But I, as a young player coming into MLS and every rookie that I ever worked with, they come in with this, like, I'm here, for, the team is here to serve me. Like, I am here to showcase my talents, to get better contracts, to get traded to a better team, to get better sponsorships, and it's this very selfish mentality. And I think that the same thing can happen in the church, where when we come into the church, we can think like the sacraments exist for my individual good. They do exist for your good. Christ gives us those for our good, but it's actually for the building up of the body, of the church. It's a bigger thing than just you. So I have a story uh, about this. I was, uh, this was in 2014. We, I had just started playing. I, so I was a rookie in 2013. This is my second year. Uh, and I'm starting to play, which is good. And I'm, you know, like that's stressful. You're trying to prove yourself. Uh, to prove that you're a value to the team. I was, an, I was a defender, but I was a very attacking defender. Like I loved to go forward and that was my value, so to speak. I got a lot of assists and I would score goals as a defender. And so that was what made me valuable. So I'm starting to play and I'm eager to show that. Like I'm eager to show how much I can assist the team in attacking. That year we had just traded for uh, a, a man named Bobby Boswell, who was the def reigning defender of the year. He was a center back. So I'm a I was an outside left back, and so this is the guy right next to me on the defensive line. He was a defender of the year. He had been with the national team. He had played like 250 MLS games. Like, he was an absolute veteran. In the middle of a game, him and I had just started playing together. In the middle of the game, I saw an opportunity to go forward, so I launched myself forward. Um, I think I made an okay play, but eventually we lost the ball. And the other team played a ball over the top to the, the space that I had just vacated. I just left. And Bobby is stuck there with two guys now and a ton of space, which for soccer is like your nightmare. The goal of a defender is to close the space. It's easier to manage. With a lot of space, they can, they can go anywhere. They can get up with a lot of speed. And so I left. They play a ball, and these two guys are just attacking Bobby. He eventually gets them. I, I think he eventually parries the ball out for a corner, basically. So it was fine. We didn't, we didn't get scored on. 
But the second the ball went over the line, he turned at me and he goes, Taylor, you never do that again. You never leave me alone back here. And he actually grabbed me by the shirt and like threw me. Um, and he was a bigger guy. And I was, this is like, I just was on the field. I'm just trying to get my feet wet and I'm like terrified. I'm freaked out. I'm like, I'm never going to play next to this guy again. Like, this is terrible. Uh, and the point of what happened there and the lesson that I learned from that very thing was know your role. I was a defender. I was part of a unit. The team didn't exist for me to go showcase what I could do at the expense of the good of the team. And he, his point to me was, you never leave me alone like that. You never think for yourself again. Like you're part of a team. Uh, and that is something that every young player has to go through. And I saw it time and time again. How this applies to the spiritual life is there, there's much talk about our spiritual gifts. And it's amazing. And God pours out his gifts and they're individual to each of us. And they're for the sake of the building up of the body. That's not what I want to talk about. What I want to talk about is something that I actually think is uh, a corrective to some understanding of the gifts which is there's many times in which you actually have to suspend the use of legitimate gifts for the greater sake of the body. I think that they're, the best model for this that's most understandable is mothers, right? Take a, a mom who has been given great gifts. It may, maybe they're a wonderful singer. Maybe they're a great writer. Maybe they're a great counselor, whatever it may be. And then they have children. I've seen this in my own wife. Then they have children and it's like, you're at home, you're changing diapers, you're taking care of the kids. Uh, and the sacrifice there is that you're serving the greater building up of the church through the family and actually suspending a legitimate gift, which is a greater sacrifice to God. And I had to learn that as a soccer player, that I had a legitimate gift. I was a very good attacker, but my call, I was a defender first. And I had to learn to put attacking at the service of the back four unit for my team. And so after, when I was, this was in 2015 now, I was a good attacker, I was a below average defender, and now I'm a regular starter on the team. So that's a problem. You don't want a defender to not be a good defender, and now I'm playing every game. And so in that season, for like four months straight, about three times a week, I stayed after practice with the coaching staff, and they just had our outside mids just sprinting at me, just defending over and over and over and over again, and it was terrible. Like, it's like your worst nightmare. Like, think about something that you're not naturally good at, and then imagine if, like, the people that are controlling, if you have a job, are like, we're going to watch you do that, like, a hundred times. And that's what you have to do. Like, it's awful. But it actually helped me develop. And I had to learn that I was there for the sake of the team. I was not there for the sake of my own progress. And so the Christian life is not one of individualism. Like, the church does not serve you. The sacraments do not serve you. They, I mean, they do, but not exclusively. It's for the sake of the whole body. Every gift every one of us has received is not our individual property. It's for the sake of the whole church. And in sports, you ha every player has to learn to put themselves at the service of the greater team, going towards a common vision. And for us, we have to put everything that we've been given at the service of Christ's will for the sake of his glory and for the salvation of souls. And that's something that is just a deep, deep uh, lesson that was imprinted in me from soccer. To close that one out, I have the, a quote from St. Jose Maria Escriva. So your talents, your personality, your qualities are being wasted. So you're not allowed to take full advantage of them. Meditate well on these words of a spiritual writer. The incense offered to God is not wasted. Our Lord is more honored by the immolation of your talents 
than by their vain use. So just for a little support of the saints there. There's something really beautiful when we actually suspend legitimate gifts for the sake of something greater. And that is something that every person faces. Absolutely. Like you're going to face that at work sometimes. Like maybe you're really gifted at something, drawing, I don't know. And you're being asked to do something else for years. But you're putting yourself at the service of God's will and that, and that that's where you are. And there's something great about that. And I think it's something that it's good to know because it'll, all, it'll be asked of all of us at some point, multiple times. So that is know your role. Number two, which is probably my favorite, is criticism is your friend. So um, all of us know that we need to grow. All of us know that we are not perfect. But no one likes to receive criticism at all. <laughs> That's a very weird thing to think through because we want to get better. Criticism is kind of like the raw material of where we need to grow. But if you, like, if you really think about it, think about the last time someone criticized you. Legitimately, like someone that like cares about you and once you're good, like someone you respect, not like anybody. Think about that when they, they looked at you and like, you're not doing this well or you need to stop doing this or, you know, like this was okay, but I know you can do better or like this wasn't, you think about that and, and you know that feeling, you feel that like welling up inside of you and that kind of closing in and that tension and that resentment and anger. It's a very funny thing to think about because you're like, that's the path of growth. It's someone else giving it to you, but we don't want that. So that's just criticism generally. In soccer and I, in, in all sports, in all professional sports, film review is a major thing. Um, so my schedule for soccer is you would play a game over the weekend, you'd come in on Monday, you'd do an hour and a half of team review with the whole team, and then on Wednesday you would do specific film review with the defenders. And it's the worst because you're just sitting there and you're getting picked apart for every little thing, like everything. And they're just saying like, well, why did you do this here? Why did you do that? You shouldn't have done that and you ruined this and you're getting blamed. And it's just, it's, the, it's terrible. Like it's this crazy experience of just getting attacked on a regular basis, so to speak. And again, every young player that comes into the league has to learn to actually detach themselves from that and to see it as a path of something positive, to see it as a path of growth rather than this like condemnation on yourself as a player. And it's difficult to do and not everybody can survive it. Like I've seen a lot of players crumble largely because of the critical factor of the sport. Like they're like, I'm out. That's why a lot of guys don't make it. So you have to see it differently. And so I think for us in our spiritual life, we have to understand that all of us want to grow in holiness. We want to grow in sanctity. We want to grow in virtue. And it's like we want to do that in a one-on-one -on -one way with God. And he does do that. Like he, he teaches us the ways in which we need to grow. But he also does that through the people he's put in our life through our bosses, through our parents, through our spouses, through our friends, through our children even. They reveal the ways in which we need to grow as people for the sake of holiness. Uh, there's, uh, in the book of Sirach, there's a great quote that you have to seek the wise man out and wear out his doorstep. You have to constantly seek out the person um, who has a particular wisdom that is deeper than your own. And I think that this is absolutely essential for our life as Catholics, for our lives as Catholics. I think that um, we know we need to grow and we want Jesus to just tell us directly and that's just not how he works. He works through his church. He does work with us directly by way of individual prayer, but it's also through the body. All of these things are bigger than just us and than just myself and Christ. It's, it's broader than that. And so there's something that we have to learn to actually seek out criticism and that it's not a negative, it's actually a path to growth.
uh, two ways to go about this because it's not an easy thing. Like again, if, you are, or if you're imagining that process of being criticized and you feel that like kind of bubbling up of frustration and tension, and you're like, this is the worst, I hate this, don't talk to me. It's good to have uh, some of these things in our mind to go about it in a more positive fashion. The first is to trust in God's providence, which is to trust the people that are in your life. For uh, married people, this is your spouse. Like, that's a very direct one. Like, you know that's God's will. For all of us who are working, we know that there is something in our boss um, in which they have a particular authority in doing so. That's not to say they're always right either, but it means that there is an openness that we should give for the sake of personal growth. And then the other thing uh, related to this is for soccer, I'm getting criticism constantly from my teammates and my coaches. So these are people who have a competency in the area of growth that I'm going for, and they have a vested interest in why we're trying to go to the same place, right? Like we're trying to win a soccer game. So I can trust that if they're giving me feedback, it's because they think that what they're saying is going to help us win. So it's very important who we seek feedback from, right? We want to seek it from people who are trying to go to the same place. They know that heaven is where we're trying to go. And we also want to seek it for people who actually care about us, that they want our good and that they're not seeking their own agenda or whatever it may be. So this is how we can receive. And then if you're wondering how do we give feedback, there's a little quick way to remember this is you have to have the relationship or the right to give this feedback. And that's who you should seek it from too. Relationship meaning like we're actually in communion with each other. We're actually friends. And because I love XYZ person or because this person loves me, I can trust that what they're communicating to me comes from a place of love. And the other is the right. This is authority. Like when my coach tells me something, he has the right to tell me that he's my coach. So when you're seeking out mentors or giving it, it's a good question to ask, does this person or do I have the right to give such a thing? Do I have a competency in what I'm about to deliver to them? So that is criticism is your friend. Just a, just a last note on criticism too. Uh, there's something, again, it's about where we're trying to go, where uh, we, we, we see ourselves as we are and we see ourselves where we want to be. We all can hold that in the abstract. We all have a general understanding, like I hope to be better in five years, in 10 years. Criticism is that path. Like we have to see it that way. That was what we had to do in soccer, was to see that what I'm being criticized by uh, for by my coach or my teammates was the path uh, to getting there. Um, and that this is now something that is like loosely, like I can get a hold on it in a sense and it's not intrinsic to my own value. I am something that I am someone who can change my behavior and move towards that thing, which is a very joyful thing to do. And then lastly, number three is to have the courage to fail. Have any of you guys, I'm sure you've all heard of the concept of being in the zone for sports, right? Like I'm, many of you I'm sure have played sports, so this is true in music in particular. I'm sure it's true in other things. Um, but there's this concept of being in the zone. Uh, it's a very interesting thing to try to think through. What does that mean? What does it mean to be in the zone? Uh, and there, there's a couple different things, but one of them is like this mix of being perfectly present in the thing that you're doing. But the element that I wanna talk about is fear has melted away. Okay, so whenever an athlete is in the zone, they're not at all playing from a place of fear, fear of making a mistake. They're just playing. There's this completely, uh, totally present element to it and fear has completely melted away. So I wanna talk about fear because it is something that we are all constantly grappling with. 
If you try to imagine, like, when, for me, it's playing sports or anything that you're, you've done in your life that you care about, right? Like, you're trying to do something well. And, and you think about, like, those thoughts that come in where you start getting afraid. Like, what if I blow it? What if I fail? What if I let this person down? And you guys all know, there's, like, a shrinking of vision. There's this, like, tunnel vision kind of a thing. Um, you can't, like, see. So for soccer, for me, this was, like, when I went out to play, which this happened all the time. This happens to tons of professional athletes, you go out to play and you're absolutely terrified of blowing it. You're terrified of letting the fans down. You're terrified of making a mistake. You're terrified of losing your job. You're terrified of getting hurt. You're terrified of like whatever. You're terrified of a lot of things. And it's very interesting when you're playing, you feel like very constricted. You feel very cramped. You're like, you, you only do what you absolutely know how to do. And it's super limiting. It's terrible. And you can apply that to a bunch of different things. And the temptation that we all face in these things, especially when it's something you actually care about, because if you have fear, it means you care, so that's good. But the temptation is to always play it safe. This was the temptation in soccer. Like if I receive a ball and I can see a play going on and maybe it's a really hard pass to hit or something and I have to take a bit of a risk and I might lose the ball for my team and in the back of my mind, I'm like, well, I'm gonna get crushed in film review on Monday if I do this and we lose it and what if we get scored on, it's terrible. If I'm thinking that way, I receive the ball and I don't hit that and I just find the guy that's five yards away from me and I pass it to him because it's like, great, I didn't mess up. And I think that that's the temptation that all of us face, not only in work, but we face that in our life of faith. So the story that I have for this is there's a legendary soccer manager named Pep Guardiola. He is this like wiry little Spanish man uh, and he played for Barcelona back in the day. He then coached Barcelona uh, and he won like tons of champions leagues, league champion, like all of these different things. He won everything. He's this unbelievable coach. And there was this criticism of him uh, that was like, well, you can only win in Spain because it's a particular brand of soccer. You, know, you can only win in Spain. That's what the media outlets were saying. And so the next year he left Barcelona and he went to Manchester City in England, which is like a completely different type of soccer. And he went and took over Manchester City. And then he won the Premier League like a year or two later. It was unbelievable. And they ran away with it. So Amazon did this documentary on his coaching of Manchester City when he went and took over the team. And there's this awesome clip that's played, I think it's in the first episode. And uh, Manchester City, I think it's at halftime or maybe they had just lost, but it wasn't, they, didn't have a, they weren't having a good game. And they were trying to make it to the final, the FA Cup final. Um, and Pep Guardiola, is, he's this, again, he's this very animated Spanish guy. And he just gets up in the middle and he stands up, uh, right in the middle of the locker room in front of the whiteboard, and he goes, it takes courage to be a footballer. Stop playing afraid. And these are the best players in the world. Um, and what he's trying to get them to do is to play free. Don't be afraid to fail. And what he goes through all these things, he's like, make the pass, take the shot, do all these things, like go. This is, and this is why he's a legendary manager, because not every coach coaches that way. Like tons of people coach and manage and lead by way of fear. Um, and they're, they want to do just enough to do something good, but not great. And Pep Guardiola is like, I have no time for that. I want to do something greater. We're going to crash and burn on the way, and I don't even care. And it gave a freedom to his players to just play with this absolute courage. It's awesome. This was a major part, by the way, of my conversion with soccer is when I came into the church and I realized that my value was not inherent to my soccer identity, my my that my identity was not wrapped up in only being a soccer player. When that was taken, I all of a sudden became a much better player because I wasn't afraid of failing. I was like, whatever. Like, maybe this won't go well and then I can do something else. But like, I'm, I still belong, I'm still a son of God. I don't care anymore. And I ended up playing way better. And that's when like a lot of good things in my career happened. 
We have tons of examples of this in the, in, in our, um, in the scriptures. In particular, if you think about the call of Abraham in Genesis, right? Abraham is there, he's this old man, and he's basically sitting at his parents' house. And God shows up and he's like, I'm going to need you to go. I need you to leave. I'm not going to even tell, like, I'm going to lead you to the land that I will show you, but I'm not even going to tell you anything about it. The play it safe mentality is like, okay, like, that could be good, but I'm just going to, I'm just going to kick it here. Like, this seems all right. And instead he goes and he becomes the father of all of Israel. Our blessed mother, the angel, do you want to be the mother of God? She could have been like, wow, what if I blow that? What if I somehow mess up the Christ child? What if I'm not a good mom? Instead, she says, yes. The Last Supper, Jesus is talking to his apostles and he's saying all this stuff like persecutions are going to come. You're going to get thrown out of the synagogue. People are going to hate you. Your family's going to turn on you. He says, but take courage. I've overcome the world. It's fine. But you have to go no matter what. And then in the Gospels, there's, I don't know actually how true this is. Someone will have to fact check it. Someone has said that do not be afraid is said 365 times in the New Testament. I don't know if that's true. So do not be afraid for every day of the year. But that clearly this call to not be afraid and to go with courage is a major feature of the gospel. The gist of it is, it takes courage to be a Christian. It takes courage to follow Christ, right? All of us have heard the call of Christ, which makes a claim on us. It means you cannot live the same way. You cannot be the same way. You cannot even talk the same way in some respects. You can't watch the same things. You can't spend your time doing it. Like you have to change. That takes a type of courage. So to be a disciple takes courage. Pep Guardiola, it takes courage to be a footballer. Like you have to go. And you can play it safe. Like we can all play it safe as, as Catholics. Like we, we can all just do our thing and, and, and remain in Catholic bubbles and like be whatever. You can do that. Like all of us can do that. But it, it'll never be great. Like it'll never be what God actually like fully wants for us. This especially applies to evangelization. Like it's very difficult to be an evangelist. It can be at least because it can be costly because you have to put yourself out there. You have to be vulnerable and that opens you up to being rejected. This is why Christ talks a lot about your family rejecting you, that your, your own church community is going to reject you, that your friends are going to reject you. But he says the most important thing is that you have to follow me. You can be attached to nothing else. So it takes courage to go out and evangelize. It takes courage to start a Bible study with some people and invite them knowing like, oh, they'll probably think I'm a loser or I'm a fool. It takes courage to try to really live a sacramental, uh, the sacramental life of the church. It takes courage to follow the church's teachings on um, human sexuality. Tremendous courage. Not only courage because you're going to look different, but because it's a leap of faith that you're like, I look at this and I trust you, Lord, that this is actually good. And in soccer, it was the same way. I mean, you had, to, you had to be willing to go beyond what you were totally sure you were comfortable with. And that was the only way you would grow. So you had to be willing to make like very difficult things knowing like, I might blow this. And it always works out. It's always better. Like you do make mistakes, of course, but it's actually far better. It's much more worth it. So I'm going to close with this um, for this Have the Courage to Fail. There is a uh, really great sermon by St. John Henry Newman, which is a saint uh, that I love, that I have a devotion to. And he was an excellent uh, sermon writer homilist. Um, and he was an Anglican uh, priest for about half of his life. Uh, and then he converted to Catholicism and he eventually became a cardinal. Uh, he's an incredible man, but he had a hard life. He was a very high-ranking official in the Anglican church. And he was thinking about becoming Catholic and like doing something like that, like sh that, that shakes your whole life up, right? Like that's his livelihood. That's his mission. That's his family. That's his friends. That's everybody. So becoming Catholic, he knows if I do that, like it's all out. I don't know what's going to happen. He didn't know he was going to become a cardinal in the Catholic church. 
for all he knew, he was going to become a layman forever and that like his life, like everything he had done was going to be for naught. Um, and he wrote this sermon basically in the middle of all this, this swirling storm of what am I going to do? And it's called The Ventures of Faith. I highly recommend reading it. And he's talking about James and John in the Gospels. So James and John come up to the Lord when they're walking and they say, Lord, we want to sit at your right hand and your left. And he says, basically, you don't know what you're asking. Are you going to be baptized with the baptism with which I will be baptized? Will you drink the cup that I will drink? And they say, we are able. And he says, you will drink the, the, you will drink the cup that I will drink. You will be baptized with the baptism uh, that I will be baptized with. But it, there's a sense in his answer of like, you have no idea what you're asking for. And so he's commenting, John, St. John Henry Newman is commenting on this. And he's talking about how James and John are there before the Lord and they're like aspiring, right? They're like, let's go. Like, I want to, Lord, I want to be with you. I want to be at your right and your left hand. The Lord is like, you don't know what you're asking, but he's going to receive him anyways. St. John Henry Newman then says this. Here then, meaning this discussion, this desire of James and John to follow the Lord. Here then is a great lesson impressed upon us that our duty as Christians lies in this in making ventures for eternal life without the absolute certainty of success. And then skip, I'm skipping a sentence. No one among us knows for certain that he himself will persevere. Yet everyone among us, to give himself even a chance of success at all, must make a venture. His call here, I mean, it's, it's kind of funny what he's doing because he's looking at James and John. He's like, they have this great, this great desire. They have no idea what they're asking, and it's going to turn out to be a lot harder than they think. And he's looking at that, and he's like, that's what we all have to do. We have to make this kind of courageous, like, Lord, I will go with you. So we all have to make that when we decide to be a personal disciple of Jesus Christ, to say, like, I'm not going to live my life on my own accord anymore, and I'm going to follow you. And then we also have to do it again and again and again in our own life of prayer, but especially as evangelists, because it's always difficult. You have to have all this courage. It, it takes so much courage to, to show up for Mass every Sunday, in a sense. It takes courage to have children today. It takes courage to go work at a Catholic apostolate. It takes uh, courage to pray before meals in a restaurant. It takes courage to wear a cross, in a sense. It takes courage to invite people to something. Um, and then we have to go, and the, the kind of that sense of, of uh, concern or fear of what if, that's like the moments that you know you're like, yeah, we got to go anyway. And that was such a lesson in soccer of like the best players, they play with like, it's not a recklessness because they're so disciplined in their preparation, but it's like when game time comes, it's like, we're just going. And that's like this in the zone. They're just perfectly present. Fear melts away and they just act and it's amazing. And now for us in the church, like to be completely transformed by Christ to just see our day-to-day -day life as this chance to be a vessel of, of going, to be the hands and the feet of the Lord is a really beautiful thing. End of point three. So my friends, uh, my hope today was that we could go through these, learn some lessons uh, from the athletic life, which uh, is near and dear to my heart and hopefully helpful to you all. Uh, and that the, these three things, knowing your role as part of the body, that criticism is your friend, meaning it's really a path to growth and not something to kind of reject and run from, and that we have to have the courage to fail, to be courageous for the sake of Christ, uh, are, are ways in which we can live out our life of discipleship uh, and something that was helpful to me as I was coming out, uh, well, during and then coming out of being a professional soccer player. 
so thank you all so much for being with me and taking some of your valuable time today. We will end with a Hail Mary and call it a day. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Thank you, friends. Thank you. Thank you. We hope you've enjoyed this presentation from Taylor Kemp. If you'd like to hear more of these inspiring talks, we invite you to visit lighthousecatholicmedia.org and enroll yourself or a friend in our CD or MP3 Download of the Month Club. Lighthouse Talks are brought to you by the Augustan Institute. To learn more about the mission of the Augustan Institute and to help support our other faith-filled products for individuals and parishes, please visit missioncircle.org. Thank you for listening, and may God richly bless you and your family.